SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22 Chapter 23 A Patient Man July 24th, 2011 Hermione was a pragmatic and reasonable woman, a logical and convergent thinker. She was skilled at tucking emotions away in order to evaluate a problem, find a solution, execute said solution, and review the effectiveness of the end results. Emotions distorted perception and clouded judgment. Hermione knew this. But feelings were now at the root of her problems. Literally. Strong and resistant, they burrowed deep, stubbornly remained, and refused to budge each time the idea sprang forth of Draco Malfoy stepping into a role other than his current one. Ally. And it happened, often. Hermione tugged at them during morning tea conversations, which were now less tense and felt like genuine communication. More often than not, they devolved into debates. But that was who they were, and nothing would change that. Mutual acceptance was, in itself, at the core of respect. And hers for him grew bit by bit each day. During silences, while Malfoy read the paper, Hermione yanked relentlessly. She pulled hard when he caught her mentally working on his crossword, but he only rolled his eyes and made a noise that landed somewhere between humor and irritation. Most mornings, by breakfast, Hermione was tired of trying. Witnessing the careful steps taken by father and son each day did nothing but make those roots burrow deeper and wind around each other. Notes. Sign language. Nerves easing. Increased bravery. Stubbornly, Hermione continued her efforts during their research meetings, but it was no easier in the quiet hours. Glances. Bits of conversation that never steered from their tasks. Sometimes Hermione could forget he was there except for the human noises in the peripheral of her subconscious, she recognized as him. A scratching quill, turning pages, quiet breathing, the sound of his glasses being placed on the wood. If Malfoy did it three times, he was tired, and Hermione hated how quickly she learned that. Hated how she knew the noises Malfoy's leather chair made whenever he shifted, and the huff he gave upon realizing his inkwell was dry. It had the same effect on her as sitting in the conservatory on a stormy night. Natural. Calming. And it irritated Hermione that she knew when it was coming to an end, when Malfoy was about to say something that broke the tension of the moment. Usually, he commented on the late hour as a prompt to call it a night. His stillness, when she stood, served as a reminder of the sofa he slept on each night. Just before midnight the night before, right as she'd finished her first set of translation interpretations, the session had been interrupted by Scorpius trailing in with a book. From his bleary-eyed wave alone, she'd known it wouldn't take much effort to get him back to bed. Which had led to story time, and Malfoy had been invited to attend by a bashful pair of blue eyes. Not ten minutes had passed before the little boy was a worn weight against her arm. Hermione had glanced over to where his father had remained hyper-focused on the little feet tucked under his leg. It hadn't looked comfortable for Scorpius— but the growing trust had been evident in the visual. The softer expression of affection in a moment Malfoy thought no one was looking. That combination had sparked... Well, Hermione had seriously considered scorching the entire field to kill one root. But then she'd sighed, stopped overreacting, and allowed herself to enjoy the sight. And even the small flash of a quirking smile that had appeared before he'd picked up Scorpius to return to bed. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with attraction right? By nature, it was what opposites tended to do. It was amorphous, uncontrollable, and perfectly normal. 
Logical. A biological response to pheromones being released. Because that was just it. Attraction was purely chemical. Dopamine. Oxytocin. It was ingrained in her genetic code even before she knew it. Or him. There was an aesthetic appeal, of course. Malfoy was tall, well-dressed, and intelligent. Three things that were objectively attractive qualities. Like Theo. Well, now that Hermione actually gave it some consideration, her attraction to Theo was more akin to appreciation, like finding value in the nuances of an artist's work. But this was different. Physical and mental. Physiological and intellectually bewildering. Hermione blamed proximity. It was nearly constant in the hours outside of sleep. He was always there. And it wouldn't change in the near future. It made sense that she would... Oh. Memories of solstice and every talk since derailed that steamrolling train of thought, which led to the reminder of a familiar twinge from the first day. It was something she tried to brush off, but now to acknowledge any of it meant that she had to admit every interaction, both significant and mundane, carried weight, significance, and meaning, which was difficult and troublesome. Draco Malfoy was the son of one tendril of connection, the father of a stronger one, and tried as she might, Hermione couldn't say that they had no link on their own. In fact, she couldn't say that at all, given all the changes that had occurred between them, the talks, the pieces she'd put together, and the ones he'd given to her for safekeeping. She couldn't negate much of anything, now that she was thinking more than ignoring or compartmentalizing to save for later. How is she? A deep voice broke Hermione's reverie, anchoring her back into the current surroundings and reminding her of Narcissa's incident that morning, where she'd violently and uncharacteristically lashed out at both her and Saxe. Malfoy had just finished his solo breakfast with Scorpius when the shouting started. He turned Scorpius over to Catherine, who had been happy to distract him, and to her surprise, he had come along to help. Thankfully so, because his presence had calmed Narcissa long enough for Hermione to find a calming draft that he'd convinced her to take. And now he was here. Resting. She turned away from the window to face Malfoy. Sax is monitoring her until I get back. Then I'll stay with her until Keating's shift starts. I'll see how she feels when she wakes up. Lashing out like that isn't uncommon with her disease, but it was a surprise. She was perfectly fine all morning. I see. He approached with steps that were every bit as methodical as he was. But you don't work weekends. I'm making an exception today. She folded her arms and returned to the side outside. I think gardening can wait for one day. I have brunch I can't get out of, but Sax needs a break after this morning. Understandable. And your shoulder? Something she'd taken to asking him about semi-routinely. Doesn't hurt. Once at her side... Malfoy instantly noticed what she'd been blindly staring at. An eyebrow rose sharply. What is he doing? It was a valid question. Catherine was seated in a chair, with her legs crossed and a book popped open on her lap. She seemed to be enjoying the tolerably warm day. Summer didn't always guarantee sun, and the weather had been nice, but storms were coming in a few days. So Catherine read while enjoying the weather, sneaking glances at Scorpius, who was on a blanket in the middle of the grass with his legs folded and his face tilted toward the sun. Peaceful and quiet, with the cactus by his side. Every now and then he touched the pot as if making sure it was still there. He's doing what he wants, Hermione shrugged at his visibly confused father. I imagine the very concept is soothing to him. What? Having a choice, 
She rubbed the side of her neck, her elbow brushing against his arm. I usually sit with him and we work on sign language. If he wants, but it's not a work day. Are you busy? I was about to work on translations now that things have settled. I'm not sure what he heard this morning, if anything, but perhaps you should sit with him. Hermione shifted from one foot to the other. Just a suggestion. Malfoy responded by opening the door and gesturing her to go first. It was instinct to object, but she was working on swallowing the urge to argue. This was a habit for him. She'd seen Malfoy open many doors, pull out chairs, and offer his arm for side-alongs. It was nothing special, just politeness bred from years of etiquette training that had polished his manners. Their emergence from the house instantly caught Catherine's attention. Used to Narcissa, who was a stickler for keeping Scorpius on academic tasks for his betterment, she was so shocked to see Malfoy that she dropped her book, scrambled to her feet, and began stumbling through an explanation for the lull in activity. "'Scorpius wanted to sit in the sun with the cactus!' Catherine sounded anxious in a way that spoke of the indirect damage Narcissa was doing to those around her. I, I saw no harm in it, but I can go get the workbooks for— That won't be necessary. The almost easiness of his tone halted her, relaxed her slightly, and Hermione exhaled her own relief. You may go. Uh, I'll sit with him. Catherine blinked several times, and a deep blush appeared where none had been before. I, uh, yes. Are, are you certain? I— "'Hey, did you put sunscreen on him?' Hermione tried to spare her further embarrassment, gesturing to the bottle on the table. Malfoy either didn't notice or didn't care, his focus, as always, on the little boy who had just drawn his knees to his chest. "'No,' she handed over the bottle sheepishly. "'I don't think he likes how it smells.' Hermione nodded and went into her bag for her own bottle before calling Scorpius over. He stood with no fuss, prepared to leave the cactus behind, but when he turned towards her, he froze upon seeing his father. A waving gesture made Scorpius move, slowly. By the time he tiptoed across the grass, under all of the watchful eyes, Hermione was ready with sunscreen in her hands. Scorpius made comical faces while she put it on his arms and legs, a mix between long-suffering and bored, but he didn't resist. Hermione let him do his own face and made certain he got the back of his neck. One sunburn there last month had taught them all a valuable lesson in how sensitive his skin was. After he finished, Scorpius peered up at his father, then her. Malfoy blinked in confusion, and his son's eyes got more insistent. Then he started pointing at them both. Catherine chuckled. It earned her a side-eye from Scorpius. Hermione suppressed her own amusement at the little signs of pridefulness that he was beginning to display. He didn't like being teased. Realization dawned on her. Oh, sunscreen for his father. Since you're staying, Hermione handed Malfoy the bottle with a smirk. Go on. The scowl he gave had her name all over it, but he wordlessly accepted the bottle. Scorpius was pleased enough with his success to return to his picnic blanket, while his father put the sunscreen on his face and hands. She didn't watch. Much. You missed your neck, Mr. Malfoy, Catherine pointed out. Hermione knew she was smirking, but she didn't even try to stop herself. You wouldn't want to burn. I suppose not. He killed her amusement with a look that immediately simmered to something close to smoldering as he rubbed sunscreen onto his neck. Malfoy leaned in slightly, eyes still trained on her. Enjoy your brunch, Granger. With spreading heat, she watched him join his son. It got a bit awkward when Scorpius turned his head at his father's approach. 
Malfoy's step slowed to something more tentative as he lifted his hands to sign. May I? A stilted moment passed. Then Scorpius moved the cactus, gaping at his father in wide-eyed shock as he eased into a sitting position. They both seemed lost at first, like two people who had gotten to the finish line but found themselves unsure of who should cross it. Scorpius went first, hesitantly returning to enjoying the sun on his face. Long looks turned into furtive glances before, at last, he reached over and touched the cactus pot between them. And after another minute of observation, Malfoy smirked and did the same. The roots inside Hermione continued to grow, unseen but certainly felt. Hermione armed herself with every metaphorical weapon she could in preparation for the ambush waiting for her at brunch. She knew it was coming. Pansy's look all but promised it, and Ginny had been too eager to schedule it. The restaurant they chose was laid back with a view of the Thames, with a table in the corner by the window away from other patrons. It was the perfect place for a battle. Hermione followed the maitre d' to where her friends were arranged around the table, ready for everything, except Lisa Turpin, who was seated between Ginny and Cho. Hermione quickly read the table and surmised that the battle had begun without her. Ginny's smile was as polite as it was artificial while engaging Lisa in conversation. Pansy was on the other side of Hermione's intended seat, eyeing her knife and squinting between Cho and Lisa, almost as if unsure who she wanted to stab more. Susan remained unbothered, as always, until Pansy picked up her fork, which made her give the witch a dark look, until the utensil rejoined the others and Pansy went for her drink instead. An approving nod was given before she went back to enjoying the view. There was no Pravati to lighten the mood, something that left her sister nearly wincing as she focused on her conversation with Cho, who patted her shoulder in sympathy. Neither looked worse for wear, but friction was apparent at the table. "'You made it!' Padma's smile was a bit too cheerful. Uh, you're late, Pansy grumped when she sat down, sarcasm dripping from every pore. You've missed such wonderful conversation. Through clenched teeth, she added, save me. It was worse than she had expected. Merlin. There was an incident with my patient this morning that delayed my departure. That got everyone's attention who knew her patient. Lisa looked very confused at the shift in mood. Cho did as well, which increased Hermione's respect for Padma tenfold. Padma knew Narcissa was her patient, and had never told her best friend. There was nothing stopping her. No charms or spells blocked her from knowing, at the very least, that Hermione worked for Narcissa Malfoy. Cho's lack of understanding spoke volumes to Padma's integrity. What happened? Pansy didn't appear to be breathing. Confusion incident, but everything is fine and she's resting. Hermione witnessed the wind from her sails die, and patted her arm empathetically. I'll be monitoring her this afternoon after brunch. No particular reason but to give the healer a break. I know you were planning to have tea with her this afternoon. Maybe tomorrow? I'll come by later and check on her. Okay. As conversation picked up back where it had stopped for her arrival, with Lisa filling in the story of her life no one asked for, Hermione astutely picked up on cues of how each person felt about their new addition. Varying degrees of irritation, apparently, with the ever-polite Cho attempting to play nice and ask about her job as a secretary for the magical patent office, likely where she and Ron had reconnected. He and George had several patents for a variety of gadgets. Hermione leaned over to Ginny, gesturing secretly to the unexpected addition to the group. What happened there? Ron brought her to dinner last night. 
Ginny's tone and expression matched, but Hermione knew she was wearing her media mask and ready to smile if a camera was to pop up, a habit born from both her career and marriage to Harry. I mentioned brunch, and she invited herself. What rotten taste he has! Pansy's comment earned her a kick under the table that soured her mood further. I stand by what I said. Rotten! Play nice! Hermione knew it was useless to tell her to be nice. Whatever happened before her arrival had ended all hope for that. Hermione pasted a pleasant smile on her face upon realizing everyone was looking in their direction. Have you all ordered? Not yet! Lisa's civility was as manufactured as plastic. We were waiting for you! Years away from the Ministry hadn't dulled her ability to tell when someone didn't care for her. Perhaps she hadn't forgotten their exchange at Solstice. Hermione hadn't either. But she'd had an idealistic thought that perhaps they could move past that since she was now dating Ron. Apparently not. If anything, Lisa was worse today than at Solstice. Snobbish, opinionated, and rude. Not at all a surprise, especially from what she remembered about the party. But it was very clear who she tolerated at the table, and who she didn't. Hermione didn't make the cut. Neither did Pansy, but they all met the blunt end of her opinions. Hermione quietly wondered how Ron was faring with a girlfriend like her. Nothing was good enough, all their views were wrong, and she had little tact in telling them as such. When Jenny complimented the aesthetics of the restaurant, she was called cheap in return. Pansy, the interior designer, mentioned liking the arrangement of the room that ensured that each table was afforded a view, but Lisa argued that the view was best on the other side of the restaurant. Needless to say, it wasn't long before the entire table was holding on to the edge of their politeness and their grips were slipping, ready to fall into the abyss of confrontation. Susan kept out of it, only cutting her eyes periodically at Pansy whenever she eyed her knife. Jenny looked ready for something harder than the mimosas she was downing at an impressive rate. Padma and Cho tried to play mediators. They kept steering the conversation to lighter topics, only for Lisa's rudeness to bring them right back to the brink. "'What are you all ordering?' Padma covered her face with the menu. Cho did the same, and it was obvious they were having a silent conversation behind the menus. Hermione, Pansy, and Ginny exchanged looks. "'Full breakfast for me,' Susan answered quickly, her eyes never leaving the window. "'Extra bacon. It's been a long week. More like a long morning.' "'I think I'll have the salmon,' Lisa folded her hands on the tablecloth. "'I wonder if I can have it made without chives. I don't like the taste.' Two eggs with sourdough toast, Hermione made up her mind without looking. She'd eaten here before with Ginny and Pansy months ago. How horribly dull, Hermione. Lisa sipped her mimosa and chided expression. Live a little. What is the point of having brunch at a nice restaurant if you eat something you can make at home? I never eat a heavy breakfast. I think I'll have the same. Pansy's choice was one of solidarity, but with sausage. "'I think I'm going to need something stronger,' Padma said, absently running a hand through her hair. "'Or I'll be drinking hard liquor before noon and fire whiskey by dinner.' She couldn't agree more, but Padma's comments spoke more to an overall mood that was only exacerbated by the tense brunch. "'What's wrong?' the question came from Pansy, oddly enough. Padma grimaced. Two guesses, and the first doesn't count.' Awkward brunch aside, she didn't feel like guessing, and neither did anyone else. Lisa didn't know Padma well enough to play guessing games, so she flagged the waitress down to take their order. Wedding plans? Yes! Padma exhaled loudly. Blaze's idea for eloping is looking better and better. Jenny sighed. I was looking forward to a week in India. Oh, it's not off the table. We've spent an absurd amount of galleons on it. 
Padma massaged her temples, eyes closed for a moment before tempering her frustration. It's just that everyone has opinions about what they want for our wedding, and we've already agreed to have a traditional Indian ceremony. Blaze doesn't care, but his mother is trying to swan in and change everything. Typical, Pansy rolled her eyes. I respect her, but his mum is a controlling bitch. Well, Padma made several faces of agreement, but didn't vocalize it. She wants us to increase the wedding party for better pictures and doesn't like the robes I've chosen. They're vintage and were my grandmother's. I'm going to have them altered, but she wouldn't understand the concept of sentiment if it hit her in the face. Hermione sat back. She was on a roll now. Also, we're having difficulty with certain things that might not be there in time. It's July. The wedding is in February. We're wizards and Blaze can find anything. It's literally his career. Why is he finding things on his own after people we've hired say they can't? How hard is it to find flowers in February? It's not. I'd ask you to grow them, Hermione, but you're stretched too thin, and we've paid them to do their bloody job. The stressed witch took another deep breath and visibly began to relax. Now I feel loads better, Padma happily finished her mimosa. I'll need another. So, elopement then? No matter how much Pansy didn't like Cho, Hermione had a deep respect for her unrelenting support of Padma and anyone she cared about, through thick and thin. I'm not sold on the idea, but Blaze thinks it will take the pressure off, and I'm beginning to agree. She leaned back in her chair, her hair flowing over the back. I just want to be married. Is that too much to ask? Weddings aren't about the couple, Lisa said in a matter-of-fact tone that made Cho's frown settle deeper. The input wasn't helpful. It just made Padma tense. That's just a fact. It's about, respectfully, I disagree. There was a coolness in Cho's voice that Hermione hadn't heard before. She had an arm on Padma's chair, and it made Pansy sit back and watch, suddenly entertained by someone she often called dull. This was different. Weddings are about more than the venue, the food, and the flowers. It's to celebrate the bride and groom, the love, the that's incredibly childish and idealistic of you, Cho. Next, you'll talk about having the perfect fairy tale moments. Lisa let loose a dismissive chuckle that was awkward in silence. If she noticed, it became apparent she didn't care. I've been to plenty of weddings, and nobody talks about the couple at the wedding, outside of what they're wearing. Maybe you don't? Susan looked annoyed as a little irritated breath escaped her lips. A bit of friendly advice. Lisa ignored the comment and gave a thin smile to the frowning future bride. Give your family the wedding they feel you deserve. It'll be easier on you in the long run. Have you ever been married? Jenny asked plainly, but didn't wait for Lisa's response. I guarantee you that my wedding, while memorably chaotic, was only for Harry and I, no one else. Lisa looked affronted. Well, thank you for all the advice. The smile that graced Padma's face was thin. Blaze and I will talk more on it when he gets back. We're not canceling the wedding, so there's no risk of upsetting anyone. The waitress arrived at the perfect moment to end that conversation. Padma ordered mimosas easy on the orange juice, for everyone at the table except Cho. Hermione added a second one to her order. With Lisa inserting herself into every story, multiple drinks were warranted. Minutes passed, and everyone broke into their own conversations while she tried to wrangle in her two friends. Ginny was far easier to manage than Pansy. How long have you been dating Ron? Cho's idea to ease the tension in an attempt to maintain a fragile peace was to turn the conversation back on Lisa and make her feel involved, a part of the group. Hermione wasn't certain it was the best plan. 
But the way both Pansy and Jinny were looking, a move needed to be made sooner rather than later before she forgot to be polite. Officially, about a month. Lisa smiled, tucking in her hair behind her ears. It's going great. I honestly can't believe you broke up with him, Hermione. But that worked out for me in the end, didn't it? There were varying degrees of silent reaction from everyone. Susan's eyes went wide with shock, and Pansy sat straight in her seat. Ginny, Padma, and even Cho recoiled sharply. Hermione maintained her composure, while preparing a mature statement about how sometimes things didn't work out, or something else, anything that would have ended the topic once and for all. But one person at the table never gave her the chance. "'One person's trash can be another person's treasure,' Pansy glanced at her fingernails as if bored and pushed her dark hair over her shoulder, appearing as haughty as she could be when she put forth the effort. "'Clearly, this is the case.' Jinny choked on her water, and Lisa's expression went from snooty to irate. Hermione patted the redhead's back until she signaled that she was okay. Cho and Padma exchanged a cringe while Susan looked out the window. Again. "'Excuse me?' "'Oh, you didn't hear me. Fine. I'll say it louder,' Hermione kicked Pansy under the table. But instead of getting angry, she settled back with a cold smile. Lisa gripped her glass hard enough for it to shatter. "'You've got some nerve! So do you!' An unexpected voice interrupted the tirade that was about to be launched. All eyes fell on Susan, who was supremely unimpressed with being forced to speak more than intended. Bringing up your boyfriend's very old relationship with Hermione is immature, tasteless, and frankly, it's ruining my appetite. Her eyes darkened, and I was looking forward to my extra bacon. Before anything else could be said, their food and drinks arrived, but it did nothing to clear the air of strain. Everyone ate in virtual silence and stilted looks. The only person who remained chipper was Pansy. Susan ate her bacon first, closing her eyes, still determined to enjoy the taste even though she glared across the table at Lisa. When the meal was over, a still-fuming Lisa made excuses to leave and was gone before anyone could fake that they wanted her to stay. There was a collective sigh of relief around the table. And then the swearing began. Fuck! Jenny pinched the bridge of her nose. I am never going to hear the end of this from Ron. Sorry that I'm not sorry, Pansy shrugged. If she can't take the heat she gives off, she should stay out of the fire. She's a bitch, and your brother is even more of an idiot than I thought for dating her. Yeah, she was out of line. Cho drank her water. Before you got here, Hermione, she tried to give me unsolicited dating advice because her month-long relationship is so healthy. Cho's comment concluded with an uncharacteristic eye roll. Don't start on the wedding comment. Padma groaned. I forgot how much I hated her in school. She looked at Susan. Why can't you date Ron again? We at least like you. I'm not his type, she half shrugged her response. Also, girl code. Everyone laughed. Ginny even cracked a smile. Respectable, but I'd make an exception to this rule. Pansy called for another drink. Water that time. I'm just glad she's gone. Pansy straightened in her seat. Now we can get down to actual business. Shite. Lisa's presence nearly made her forget about the ambush. You're right, Ginny smiled and turned fully in her chair, not looking at Hermione, but past her at the smug, dark-haired witch. Pansy, you were awfully chipper when you arrived today. You turncoat! Pansy's grin vanished and her eyes narrowed. I am more and more convinced that you should have gone Slytherin. No, we'll get back to Hermione. It'll be far longer than this part. But, Lisa aside, 
Regular cock has you much nicer, Pansy. Susan gave her a proper leer. Padma choked on air while Cho and Hermione laughed loudly. Ginny's face twisted into a cringe. I set myself up for that, didn't I? Sure did. Pansy looked impressed. If I'd known you had such a potty mouth, I would have befriended you sooner. Susan did a mock curtsy in her chair. Meanwhile, the fact that Pansy didn't deny it seemed to dawn on everyone at the same time. Wait, what? Hermione jerked her head to the witch next to her. Ginny threw up her hands. If we're going to talk about my brother's sex life, I am out. You've got three kids, Pansy scoffed. Don't tell me you're prudish to know that your brother fucks like a... Ginny squawked and covered her ears, while Pansy tossed her head back and laughed in pure joy at her discomfort. Gods, where is Parvati when I need her? Work, unfortunately. Padma appeared truly relaxed for the first time all meal. Lisa aside, she's going to hate that she missed this. Such a shame, but probably for the best. Pansy tapped her chin with her fingernail before turning her attention to Hermione. Her grin was downright devious. Luckily, the waitress returned, and she ordered another mimosa for everyone who wanted one. Pansy asked for two. "'I hate you so much,' Hermione said once the woman was gone. Pansy gasped, feigning innocence. "'I haven't said anything!' "'Yet?' Ginny smirked, while the others looked entertained about what they could possibly be bringing up about her. "'Just get on with it,' Hermione sighed. "'I really don't have much to say. Just how is your stay going with the Malfoys?' "'Fine.' easy enough. They've been hospitable. The word specialist will be at my house tomorrow, so I'll... She caught Ginny looking a bit too interested. Comments? None. Just an observation. You and Malfoy seem awfully close. Pansy's smugness started to fade as she folded her arms, much like she did whenever she wanted to start prying things out of Hermione. Turning to the others for a little assistance, she found them all looking intrigued. And so it began. We formed an alliance of sorts over the last few weeks. Hermione sat back patiently, waiting for the next attack. She was ready, mostly. He asked you to stay with his family, and I'd say that's a little more than alliance. I'm his mother's healer, and Scorpius likes me. Like? Pansy scoffed. You're his favorite person, and I don't say that lightly. Scorpius never quite took to me. Well, you're annoying, and you tease him. He hates that. Okay, yes, but if you move more than expected, he's watching. He trails after you, and don't think everyone didn't notice that he asked you for permission to go with Teddy. From the corner of her eye, she caught Ginny's nod in agreement, and the surprised faces from the others. Pansy considered her for a moment. Tell me this. How did you pass the time waiting for Draco to get home? Scorpius came down looking for him. I told him a story, and we fell asleep. Malfoy woke me up when he arrived home, and I took him back to bed. "'Would have paid good money to see his face,' Susan chuckled. "'The yelling!' "'I doubt very much that there was yelling,' Pansy gave her a probing look. "'Was there?' "'No, there wasn't,' Hermione scowled. "'We talked. I healed his shoulder.' "'What?' Pansy gaped at her. "'You did what? And he let you? "'You're lucky Daphne is with Dean's parents this morning, "'or she would be here with more questions.' Pansy took an impatient breath. No bullshit, Hermione. What is going on? Nothing. Maybe not, but your entire attitude has changed, Padma pointed out. She shrugged when everyone looked at her. What? Blaze talks? Talks how, exactly? 
He just says he's not seen Draco so agitated by a person outside of Harry in years, and it's comical. Also, he says it's intense when you two are in the same room. Padma folded her arms casually. I can see it. You're both very serious people. We're just people. He makes me nervous. Susan didn't look ashamed at her confession. Cho nodded in agreement, but she seemed deep in thought as she listened. At worst, he's rude. At best, he's unapproachable. But not to you. I saw the way you handled him and Harry after the raid. It would make sense if you'd gotten close to him. Ginny rested a hand on her chair. You see him every day. You're compromising and working with him. I saw you and him at dinner, and it looks like you're helping with his son. It's only natural that— Hermione's throat was dry, and she sipped her drink. While I won't say that you're wrong, I will say that the art of compromise comes along with mutual respect, good intentions, and honesty. Okay, then, speaking of honesty, how do you feel about him? Hermione had reached the point where a tactful answer was no longer an option. None of them would ever let this up. But sometimes the best offense was a good defense, and a good defense meant knowing when to fight and when to bide her time. He's more complicated than he appears on a surface or a parchment. I don't dislike him, if that's what you're asking. I also won't deny that I find him aesthetically appealing. Padma choked and sputtered on her drink, wheezing loud enough for everyone to look. I'm fine, she gasped. Hermione helped her out with a silent charm and earned an appreciative smile. I was not expecting that, Susan and Cho said simultaneously, then looked at each other. I was. Ginny's tone was just as smug as the expression on Pansy's face. Same here. They high-fived over the head of Hermione and gave them both dirty looks. There's no possible way you both knew. I've only just realized it myself. Oh, for fucks, that's because you didn't want to see it. Jenny looked supremely unimpressed as she cut Pansy off before she could start on her litany of swearing. I told you after you snogged him. The other three were each having an existential crisis. Wait a minute, what? Pansy held up her hands. When? Susan asked. Why am I just finding out about this? Because Jenny just told you. Hermione's glare never left her friend. Please don't tell me you're still in denial. Pansy made an aggravated noise. If you are, I'll... I just said I was attracted to him. Ginny gave a half shrug. It took you almost a month to get here, but you're always slower with your emotions than you are with your logic, so that's not entirely surprising. I do have one question. What do you plan to do about it? That was the question of the entire month. I'm not sure, Hermione confessed. Trying not to be attracted to him doesn't seem to be working. What? That came from Susan, loudly. You can't just stop yourself from being attracted to someone. Exactly. That came from Pansy. Hermione, I... You adore Scorpius, Ginny said before Pansy's temper got the best of her. There's no way you can separate the two without feeling something for his father, at least in some capacity. Even if you don't want to, Scorpius is a part of him. I can even see that. You won't be able to help it. You won't be able to stop it. It's already too late. Brunch concluded shortly after, and Ginny and Pansy rushed off to meet Harry at one of the properties they were considering. Hermione needed time to think and wanted to go for a walk in the park, but before she left, she went to the loo. Cho came in and joined her at the sinks while she was washing her hands. Odd, but there was no time to complete the thought when it became apparent she had something to say. Hermione turned off the water and went to dry her hands under the automatic dryer. Cho was still waiting for her when she finished. A bit of friendly advice? 
you should be careful about involving yourself with Draco Malfoy. Where was this coming from? You and I aren't exactly friends, but I'll bite. Hermione pressed her lips into a thin line and slipped her hands into her pockets. You're right, Cho folded her arms. We're not friends, but you're a compassionate person. I believe we have that in common. And rather than watch you suffer in the long run, I'm trying to help you. That cleared nothing up, so Hermione asked her most pressing question. Are you involved with him? Not at all. The relief she felt was palpable. If this is a warning about him because of our history, men who are as closed off as Draco Malfoy will never be available. Cho looked at herself in the mirror, then down at her feet. You won't win. No one can. Her memory will always be there. Her. You can't compete with a ghost. July 25th, 2011. Hermione was surprised to see Scorpius so soon after breakfast, wearing an outfit she'd never seen before. He certainly hadn't been dressed like that for the oddly stilted meal. For the first time since the reunion dinner, every Malfoy had been in attendance. It was a quiet affair, without much conversation, but Hermione had been more focused on the toll the change was having on Scorpius than the lack of the communication. Over and over again, he'd relaxed before remembering Narcissa was there and straightening in his seat. But that hadn't stopped Scorpius from doing something unexpected. Mid-meal, he abruptly moved his own seat between Hermione's and his father's. Malfoy was surprised, but once the little boy was settled and eating again, Hermione had realized why he'd done it. His new spot put him out of his grandmother's sightline. Hermione had spent the rest of the morning trying to figure out how to help that situation. She had yet to come up with any valuable solutions. Now, in his play clothes, Scorpius looked less like a schoolboy and more like, well, a child. No one was more confused about it than him. She couldn't keep the smile off her face as Scorpius frowned at his printed shirt, jeans, and trainers. She welcomed Scorpius's arrival by squatting in front of him and signing a greeting he returned. "'What are you doing down there?' Hermione absently double-nodded his shoestrings. "'If he was anything like Albus, they wouldn't stay as they were. "'You should be in lessons.' "'I have made some adjustments,' Narcissa's voice carried from the kitchen. Scorpius tensed, reaching for her cardigan as Hermione turned to a witch that looked ready to garden, floppy hat and all. Hermione rose to her feet and felt a smaller hand slip into hers. "'Oh?' "'Yes. Scorpius is interested in plants and marveled at your vegetable patch. I thought to incorporate that into his learning.' Hermione was better at reading between Narcissa Malfoy's lines— it was easy enough to understand what she was saying and what she wasn't. Today's adventure had little to do with his interest in gardening, and more to do with her attempt to begin connecting with her grandson. At least she had remembered that portion of their talk. Given Scorpius's unease, Hermione sincerely hoped Narcissa understood that one day wasn't going to fix everything, but judging from the determined look she caught her giving her grandson, it felt like she did. It felt like she wanted to build a bond similar to the ones he had with everyone else, she wanted to form her own memories with him, better ones. "'I know there are aurors in the area around your home, but security will be coming with us. My sister and Teddy will meet us at your home to help as well. I wasn't planning on gardening today. I don't have the time I need.' Hermione touched the end of her braid. "'I have a meeting with a ward specialist in an hour.' And Malfoy, but she left that part out. "'You have not gardened in days, Miss Granger!' Narcissa gave her a pointed look. 
Not only is the weather pleasant today, but I would like to spend time with my sister. Teddy has been crawling up the walls to see Scorpius again, and your vegetable patch is the perfect place to make all of these things happen. She adjusted her hat. Besides, it will need maintenance before tonight's storm. It will rain for days, and it is best to prepare for that with proper weeding. Narcissa, unfortunately, had a point. Hermione had no choice but to acquiesce with a sigh. Very well, then. Scorpius thrived in sunlight, and plenty of it greeted them in the vegetable patch. His body soaked up every ray like a dry sponge, once Hermione turned him loose after slathering the appreciative child's arms, legs, and face with sunscreen. She put a pair of sunglasses Al had left behind on his face, and his contemptuous frown was priceless. He abandoned them on the swing and trailed after Teddy on his trek to the greenhouse to gather fruit that was ready to be picked. While working, Hermione split her attention between the door of the greenhouse as she waited for the cousins to emerge, and the black sisters, who talked as they worked side by side. Andromeda wasn't fond of gardening, and it showed while they pulled weeds. She was there for her sister. Teddy and Scorpius exited from the greenhouse with a variety of fruits crammed in a basket. Hermione waved them over, and Narcissa's eyes followed her grandson, who had stopped along the way, distracted. He began to go from plant to plant, pausing and taking a moment to observe, touch, and appreciate each one. "'What do you need me to do next, Miss Hermione?' Teddy's question made her focus on the teenager standing in front of her. "'The chickens need water and food.' "'Okay, I'll do it by myself. Scorpius is waiting for Al to see the chickens.' Hermione nodded knowingly. She blocked the sound with a charm so as not to tempt him. When Teddy skipped off in the direction of where she kept the feed, she joined Scorpius at the potatoes. "'Do you know what this is?' He pointed at the label, and Hermione chuckled at herself for asking such a silly question. Getting on her knees next to him, she dug into the earth and retrieved a potato that was ready. Scorpius was stunned, and his eyes widened more when she handed it to him. He looked amazed as he dusted the dirt off, as careful as it was with everything else. "'You can pull some more, and we can eat them for lunch today if you want.' He was hesitant about the dirt, but once his hands were in it, Scorpius quickly got the hang of unearthing potatoes. A little too good. Hermione turned her back to see how Narcissa and Andromeda were doing, and by the time she returned, he'd pulled up a few too many, and was going for another one. "'Ah, you've done wonderfully. I think we can let the rest of them sleep a little longer, okay, love?' The endearment slipped out without warning, as natural as the smile on her face when he went to pick them all up at once, or tried to. Several of them fell and rolled away on the grass, stopping at the cobblestone walkway. Scorpius watched them roll and then looked over at her with a wild blush on his face. "'Whoops!' Still on her knees— Hermione reached for the ones that had escaped. It's okay. You don't have to carry everything on your own. It's easier with help. She accepted the ones he gave her, even though she easily could have summoned the basket. They walked the potatoes over to it and deposited them inside. She watched as Scorpius flexed his dirty fingers. She probably should have put gloves on him, but he didn't seem to mind. Nevertheless, she cleaned his hands and found Albus's gloves for him to wear. Blue ones. Perhaps she would buy Scorpius gloves of his own, but these would do for today. Hermione turned when she felt eyes on them. Scorpius peeked around her before stepping back again, but they both saw his grandmother looking. The frown that marred her face made Andromeda rest a hand on her sister's shoulder. Rewiring a connection was about relating new information to things that had already been learned. It would take more than one attempt, and it wasn't up to her. It was up to Scorpius. Narcissa couldn't have it her way simply because it was something she wanted. But at its core, gardening was about connecting. 
Hermione cleared her throat. Scorpius, you should show your potatoes to your grandmother while I start weeding. Off he went, with slow, careful steps. He looked back twice. Narcissa perked up when she noticed him approaching with a potato in his hand. Hermione figured he would follow through and continued her task. She nearly jumped out of her skin when she casually glanced over only to find Scorpius right beside her, just as quiet a walker as his father. He'd made a decision. Hermione gave Narcissa an empathetic look, but she seemed resigned. But she wouldn't force him, and that was what mattered. They moved to the carrots next, where Scorpius squatted to have a closer peek, before he got distracted by looking anywhere else, seemingly noticing all the color and life around him. Scorpius had seen it before, it wasn't new, but Hermione tried to look at it from his perspective. She wanted to see what he was seeing, and feel what he was feeling. His eyes lifted to the sky, and hers went, too. Blue skies and clouds and the warmth of the sun. When people felt they were missing something, they often went into nature to find it. That was what she'd done. And maybe that was what Scorpius was doing on the days he basked in the sun during his breaks, finding what he was missing. "'Do you like it here?' Her question drew Scorpius's attention from the heavens. She joined him on her knees, sitting back on her legs as she brushed a bit of fringe out from her own face with a gloved hand. The nod Scorpius gave her was naturally him, warm and contagious. "'We've got a few carrots ready to harvest. Are you ready?' It earned her an appreciative look. "'Just like before, I'll show you.' Scorpius shifted closer. "'You have to loosen the soil with this.' She picked up the trowel showing him the tool before using it to break up the dirt around one carrot. Then, once you're done, you can grip it right here at the stem and pull. She did just that, freeing a carrot from the dirt while Scorpius looked on with wide eyes. As soon as he dropped into the basket, a task he'd taken upon himself, Scorpius ended up back at her side, watching as she broke up the dirt around the others in a row. Your turn. There was a bit of worry in his expression, but he followed as Hermione drew him in positioned mostly behind the little boy who concentrated on his task. Her head was right next to his as she guided his hands, making sure he was gripping the vegetable in the right place. Now pull! Scorpius did, and his little gloved hands uprooted an impressive carrot. Then he beamed at her, all dimples and teeth and joy, and Hermione found her smile fading. Her heart stumbled after him as she watched him rush back to the basket to deposit his harvest. It reminded Hermione of her tomatoes, the first time she picked them off the vine and gorged on them with Neville. Her first harvest of many. A moment so clear that she could carry the memory with her through each success and setback as she built the world around her. One that he was now in. Scorpius rushed back and started on the next one while Hermione looked on. Her heart was full. He was so young. Maybe he would remember it. Maybe he wouldn't. But she would always remember this as the exact moment she truly understood what Neville had said. There were different ways to love someone, just like there were different intensities of love. And no, she didn't have to be a parent to feel it. As a lifelong student, Hermione continued to move forward in her understanding that the beauty of learning was the notion of philosophy, perspective, and the ability to find a newfound respect for varying concepts, like Draco Malfoy's competence. It was something she already knew about him a detail of his personality she had long since worked out and witnessed in various capacities. Seeing it in action today was different, but that had more to do with it being focused on her, or rather, her home. By the end of the hour, everything was arranged with far more ease than she had expected, 
and though he remained a silent figure beside her, Hermione suspected Malfoy had a lot to do with it outside of scheduling. She just hadn't worked out the details. Anthony Goldstein was the ward specialist Malfoy had summoned. The three of them walked the border of her wards and formulated a plan for their expansion and strengthening. Goldstein's team was already set and ready to scrub Mather's magical signature from the grounds, and the entire process would take a week. By the end of the meeting, everything was slated to start after the incoming storm passed. Easy enough. Anthony left with a small pop to prepare. Hermione and Malfoy remained alone on the far end of her property, just inside the forest. The tall trees dwarfed them on all sides, blocking them from the sun. She hadn't been back here in ages, and she touched the trunk of the trees as they passed while Malfoy surveyed the area. The decision to walk back was made silently. Thank you for setting this up. They emerged from the trees and into the clearing where her home was in sight. I know it's more to do with the safety of your family while they're here, but still, it's not a hardship. Several minutes passed in the physical silence they had sailed to her ears. Cordial, but oddly tense in a way that made Hermione want to fill it with something. Words didn't feel right. It was hard to believe a storm was coming. The sun was warm, fresh summer air, and stark beauty of the land around them all coalesced to create a unique ambiance. She wanted to feel alone, but she couldn't seem to manage it when she was so keenly aware of the man beside her. The man who both blended in and stood out. Loud yet silent. Clear yet convoluted. Malfoy's focus remained fixed on the approaching outline of her house, while his fingers brushed against hers, not once, but twice, before he clasped them behind his back. "'Are you staying for lunch?' She curled her hand into a fist and brought it to her chest. "'No,' Malfoy looked at her for the first time. "'Unfortunately, I can't. I have meetings for the rest of the day, and status reports for my team to review. Percy is also about to start testing some of the laws he's found on the Wizengamot.' Is it? Not the ones I've been translating, but ones that might help the situation in Diagon Alley. Ah, the fact that Tiberius was bleeding the vendors dry with high rent due to his questionable lease agreements. They were more than halfway back to the house, and Hermione found herself wondering if they had time to finish their conversation. I'm surprised you're involving yourself in it. I'm not. Malfoy looked over her head, then back. I'm merely putting an ear out on the results for Percy, who can't be involved whatsoever. He's boldly poking a hornet's nest. Vendors are emboldened by the recent blunders of the Wizengamot. They no longer see them as invincible. Not to mention, rumors of your return to the Ministry are reaching people's ears. Kingsley's as well. Hope was the last word that hung heavy in the air, but Malfoy never uttered its name. Have you spoken to him about it? Not yet, Hermione admitted. Have you talked to your mother about Muggle Care? Annoyance flitted across his face. I've tried once already with no success. I've set time tonight to try again. Malfoy was tense, his face contemplative, and he said nothing more for the rest of the walk. They returned to a fully weeded vegetable garden, and everyone in the conservatory prepared to sit for a meal Andromeda had prepared. When Malfoy stepped into the room behind her, his presence was a welcome surprise for all, especially Scorpius. Teddy's hair spiked white before fading to a pleasant blue. "'I didn't realize you were here, Draco!' Narcissa tilted her head to the side and pursed her lips. I was just facilitating the meeting with the ward specialist. His response was as dry as it was curt. I won't be staying for lunch, unfortunately. I have matters to attend to at work. Scorpius's smile faded slightly, as did Teddy's, strangely enough. Andromeda nodded. Hermione, 
Be a love and pack him a meal to go. She did so quickly, and was just finishing when Scorpius emerged from the conservatory, arms bursting with fruits and vegetables he'd picked that day, tangerines and tomatoes from the greenhouse, carrots and potatoes from outside. He dropped a few along the way, and when he unconsciously mouthed what looked like oops, she and Malfoy exchanged shocked looks. Scorpius had no free hands to sign, but he stood in front of his dad with humble offerings. His face was open and hopeful, albeit lined with silent worries she hoped would continue to fade with time and care. Malfoy kneeled before his son. "'Are these for me?' Scorpius nodded, cheeks a bit ruddy from the attention. The raw potatoes weren't yet edible, and the tangerines had been casualties of Scorpius's full arms, but Malfoy took them all, relieving his son of the hall. He didn't even flinch as his son handed over both the tomatoes and the carrots— his customary black wardrobe hid most things, but Hermione could see the specks of dirt that stood out from the unwashed vegetables. He didn't seem to mind in the least. Hermione barely caught Malfoy's low words of appreciation. Thank you. Molly always listened to the wireless while knitting Christmas sweaters, and Hermione smiled at the familiar sight when she stepped out of the fireplace. Sorry for being too early for dinner. Oh, hush! Miss Weasley rose to her feet and hugged her close. The room was comfortable, full of furniture and trinkets Hermione was used to seeing after countless visits. It smelled like dinner was nearly done, and it made her nostalgic for another time. An ache tugged at her heart hard enough to nearly bring her to tears. It was a close call, but she held it together. She closed her eyes and inhaled. Home. Family. She exhaled. Something like longing welled inside her. Want. Hermione had her own family, but things weren't like this. Meals weren't as comfortable, and conversation wasn't as easy. Everything was still tense, or they would be if her mother stopped cancelling their dinners and making excuses. Hermione was too busy to let that particular problem bother her, so when it crept up in her mind, she held on longer than usual, tighter, and Molly said nothing. She just rested her hand on the back of Hermione's head and didn't let go until she was ready. "'How are you, my love?' Molly cupped her jaw, and Hermione leaned into the touch, still feeling odd. And though her voice crackled, Hermione still insisted that she was fine. "'You're always fine, Hermione.' There was worry in her voice, on her face, and in the sad smile curving her lips. "'I do wish you would tell someone when you aren't, even in the little moments, like now.' "'I'm really fine. Just a moment. It's been a long couple of months.' "'I bet. Still not sleeping enough, are you?' Molly tisked drawing her towards the sofa and clearing everything with a wave of her hand before they both sat. I can always tell you no. It's in your eyes. It always takes me a few days to settle when I'm sleeping away from home, but I'm adjusting. Oh, that's right. You're staying with the Malfoys, Ginny told me. At least for the next week. Before Molly could ask, Hermione offered. The woods around my home were searched that nothing was found. Oars are still canvassing the area, but my wards are being expanded and strengthened. It'll take a week after the storm passes for them to finish, so... Have you told your parents? I'm supposed to have dinner with them on Friday. I'll tell them then. Or she would, if her mother didn't keep cancelling. Things have been... awkward with my mother. We got into an argument. It was a steep understatement. Ron told me. Molly squeezed her hands. Told me his role in all of it, too. It was wrong of him to do that knowing how you felt, and I told him as much. I think he's gotten the message and moved on to a woman named Lisa. I met her the night before last. She's... Her words were chosen very carefully, but her subtle opinion was clear. 
Well, she's very pretty. She is. But she won't be here tonight for dinner. Just us, Arthur, Harry, Ginny, and Ron, because he's too lazy to cook for himself. Hermione looked at the truth in the statement. Things with Ron were a bit awkward, but she decided not to let it sour the evening. Need any help? No. Mrs. Weasley gave her a motherly smile, tucking a curl behind her ears. You've been busy, I hear. Come and relax for tonight. And don't worry about helping anyone except yourself to what I'm making, which you'll love. Forget work and your garden. Just enjoy yourself. I can do that. Now, let me make you a cup of tea. The next set of hours passed in the blink of an eye. Hermione spent part of the afternoon with Arthur in the shed as he tinkered with his latest haul of muggle trinkets. And when Ginny arrived from work, they talked to the children on the phone. Hermione stepped away, but not before overhearing her friend's plans to retrieve them in two weeks. "'We found a house!' Ginny announced when she joined Hermione outside. She moved in front of the unlit fire pit and handed Hermione a bottle of Sheppies before heading inside. It was cloudier now than it had been before she arrived, an earlier sign of the change in the weather. Hermione was relaxed, enjoying the breeze and the peace that came with having to do nothing. "'That's excellent!' Al and James won't have to share a room any more, which will make them both happy. We're signing everything tomorrow, and Pansy's dragging me to shop for furniture this weekend. Why don't you come with us? Okay, but the moment one of you starts yelling, I'm leaving. That's fair, Ginny chuckled, sipping from her cider. Pansy's been invaluable during this search. I think it's just as well since she's with Percy now. Who would have thought? I'm not surprised by any of that. It was instant. I won't lie. I have my reservations. Pansy has issues that stem from her marriage. At the surprised look on Hermione's face, Ginny shrugged. Yes, I know about it. That was news. We do talk independently of you. I only know as much as she'll tell me. But her ex-husband sounds like a wanker of the highest order. I can understand why she hates rigid men, why she has a need for control, and why she won't accept certain behaviors. Percy has some of those characteristics, but not all. He'll never be controlling to the point where she can't take a breath without his permission. But he is rigid, and particular about the way he wants things done. I can see issues. I can see the differences they'll have to work through. But I also know that they're adults, and it'll sort itself out. At least, I think it will. I hope. He's more determined than I've seen from him in the past. Hermione brought the bottle to her lips. Not sure how he just knows when someone wants to cast his lot on. But he does, and he hasn't wavered. Ginny chuckled. When you know, you know. Yes, but that's not an excuse for rushing into anything. Given the bits of information she knew, their escalation was sharp for such a short amount of time. Percy is incapable of rushing into anything. The redhead crossed her legs. He's good at calculation and does it quickly. Just because you move at a glacial rate doesn't mean that you're necessarily making the best decision by waiting until every option is considered, weighed, and organized by category. I'm not that bad. Ginny cut her eyes at her. You are. I, Hermione, you know the instant you wanted to break up with Ron, but waited another, what, three years? That's insane. I told you that repeatedly, but you never listened. I had to be certain it wasn't my anger talking. You fight with your mother. Have you dealt with that yet? I would if my mother stopped ignoring my calls and canceling our dinners. Fine. Circle back. Remember when you kept trying to have one night stand for the experience? Did you ever try? No, I was considering my point exactly. You didn't just pick the first bloke you saw, make your move, and do it. 
but that probably has more to do with your anxiety-taking form and your tendency to overthink. Ginny said it as casually as one would remark about the quality of a meal they'd had countless times. You won't take a risk. You won't experiment. Apparently, everyone had an opinion on the subject. I have experimented with brewing without... That's nice. Try experimenting with something outside of your pursuit of knowledge. Hermione squinted at her friend. This feels like a pep talk. Or an interrogation. I can't decide which. It's neither, Ginny waved a hand. The point I'm making is that there's a balance in everything. What works for Percy doesn't always work for you, despite your similarities. But you shouldn't look at Percy as a guide for your own actions or inactions. Do what works for you. Figure it out. Follow your instinct, at least as it pertains to your feelings. Still feels like a lecture. Be glad Pansy isn't here or it would be a fight, and I'm firmly on her side in this matter. Before she could say anything else, Ginny gave her a piercing look. I know what you're doing, Hermione, because I know you. You're trying to minimize your thoughts and feelings rather than sort and navigate through them. Logical, yes, and it might have worked before. But bloody hell, you're about to make this far harder than it has to be. I guess that's who you are. She patted Hermione's hand and went back to the house for more cider, laughing all the way. Ginny's words remained at her side, stuck on a repeated loop and doomed to live in part of her mind that existed without time. Hermione rolled her eyes and settled back in her chair, allowing the ambiance of life outside the burrow to lull her. The smell of the grass beneath her feet, the sound of the breeze touching the flowers and trees in the field, caressing her face. When Ginny returned, she had Harry with her. Cider in hand, he sat on the ground in front of his wife's chair, resting his head on her thigh. She tussled her husband's messy hair, making it worse. How was your day? I had the third inquiry for the Godric's hollow attack. No warning. At this point, they're just trying to find any mistakes to blame on Malfoy. But there is none. Harry's comment made sense, especially given all the fuss Hermione had kicked up in her defense of the man. Tiberius is expanding his inquiries after the Wizengamot session today. What happened? The owner of the Flourish and Blots filed for a hearing concerning unfair rental prices. Hermione listened without input. And they didn't quash him like a bug? Ginny furrowed her brows. What? Can't. Harry corrected, sounding a bit giddy. He came in quoting, or reading, laws. And when Tiberius demanded that they tell him who'd given him legal advice, he refused. They can't compel him to reveal his source. After a recess, I heard that they came back and gave him a date for another hearing, September 3rd. He'll be interrogating Percy's department for sure. True. Not a lot of time for Percy to... They both looked at Ginny in surprise. What? Was I supposed to pretend I didn't know my brother was running an underground rebellion to restore power to the minister in time for the next election? How did you know? Harry looked stunned. I found out because of the inquiry after the Wizengamot murders. This is why I'm still perfect on guess which child did this. She patted her shoulder and shook her head. I've known all year. Hermione laughed while Harry glared at his wife, but her amusement drew his attention. You don't look shocked, Harry tilted his head. Did you know before the inquiry? That he was part of it? Yes. That he was running it? I became suspicious in May. My only surprise that night was that Malfoy was translating old wizarding laws to figure out if there was one to topple the Wizengamot's rule. What? Hermione tried not to laugh at the visual of Ginny gaping at her husband who just grinned, happy he finally knew something his wife didn't. Malfoy can speak and read at least three dead languages. Hermione finished her cider and placed the empty bottle next to her chair. His background has been beneficial in that aspect. 
Never know when you'll need to know dead languages to bring down corruption, Ginny giggled. With the hearing that far out, it'll be plenty of time for Tiberius to launch a counter. You won't have time for it, Ginny smirked. Pravati told me that Rita Skeeter is no longer letting him block reporting on what happened in Godric's Hollow. Likely born from whatever backroom deal she had made with Percy. It'll be on the front page in the morning. From what I've seen of the article, it won't just cover Godric's Hollow. They're planning to report on every incident the Wizengamot has forced them to keep quiet. Hermione whistled. He won't have time to face the small fires when a much larger one is spreading. The fire of change. Dinner passed with ease, laughter, and companionship at a volume that came with eating with the Weasleys, even though so many weren't there. She sometimes missed the noise when she ate alone. The food, as always, was delicious, and Hermione enjoyed every bit of it. After, they were turned outside to the fire pit Ron lit before sitting between Harry and Hermione. Ginny came out with two bottles of cider in each hand. Hermione declined, too full to drink, but Ron took hers as well as his own. "'Have you figured out what you're wearing for Pansy's birthday party?' Ginny asked. "'You mean the Austin-themed Regency extravaganza?' Hermione mocked in dramatic fashion that made Ginny bark out a laugh. Pansy was so over the top with her parties, but she had to admit that they were memorable. "'What?' Harry blinked in confusion. "'I think I'm going to dress as Anne Elliot from Persuasion, something simple and light. Harry and I are going to be dressed as Jane and Bingley. Actually, that was quite fitting.' "'We are?' Harry appeared supremely confused, giving Ron a look that earned him an open-armed shrug in return. Um, who are they? Ginny hushed her husband with a finger pressed to his lips. Shh, just go with it. Okay? Poor Harry had no idea what he was in for. I should ask Lisa if she wants to go. Ron said it with a slight wince, more to himself than anyone else. Although, as angry as she was about brunch, I'm not sure she'll want to come. Or that Pansy will want her there. Hermione could see exactly how that would go. I have no idea why you're dating her. Ginny apparently couldn't hold her tongue after a few bottles of cider. She's a nightmare. She's not bad. Ron shrugged before chugging the rest of his drink. At least she likes me. That's not a good enough reason to date someone, for fucks... Not today. Harry covered his wife's mouth before she got started. It earned him a bitter glare. Then she bit his hand, which made him snatch it back, wincing. Now I know where Lily gets it from. Jenny looked awfully smug. Harry rolled his eyes back to Ron. I'm surprised you're going. You don't like her at all, and it's mutual. All my friends will be there, and I was invited, Ron shrugged. What? Hermione was surprised he'd been invited at all. How did you get your invite? Percy, though I still don't understand what he sees in her. Before either she or Jenny could speak up, Harry gave a half-shrug. You don't have to get it, but you'll need to respect it. Upon her return after eight, Hermione expected the house to be quiet, but it wasn't. Keating was on the sofa, looking worse for wear, and from one breath to the next, Hermione's adrenaline surged at the thought that something had happened while she was away. But the feeling simmered down when she realized everything was fine. She hadn't been summoned, after all. All in all, it was a dizzying rise and fall that left Hermione feeling nauseous. Everything okay? Keating only pointed. Hermione stepped to the right, and, well, the sight gave her pause. Two Malfoys were embroiled in a heated debate in the room just off the living area. The silent argument, thanks to privacy charms, was fraught with the tension that escaped through the cracks and spaces of the glass doors, reforming into something neither she nor Keating could ignore. 
Malfoy's gestures were big and angry, while Narcissa's were dismissive. How long have they been in there? An hour. Hermione sucked in a gasp. There was only one fight that would last that long. Their discussion on muggle intervention didn't appear to be going well, judging by Malfoy's visible frustration. It only got worse with every impatient breath his mother took. When she rolled her eyes and waved her hand, he'd had enough. What came out of his mouth next seemed to shake Narcissa from her apathy. Hermione held her breath, watching as the older witch stepped towards her son. Now she wanted to talk, but he was finished. Done. What came next appeared to upset Narcissa more than anything he'd said before. Whether by accident or on purpose, the privacy charm ended, and both Hermione and Keating heard the next words. "'Beyond angry!' Malfoy's voice sounded raw, and it triggered Hermione's memory, reminding her of the night they'd argued not too long ago. "'I'm fucking furious, and I—' Malfoy took an audible breath, and much like that night, everything about him shifted and simmered. Within seconds, his face had returned to its default blank slate. Was he occluding again? Fine. His words held no tone, which was a problem in itself. Good night. I've repeatedly told Miss Granger that this is not a course I want to take, but you— Then fire her right now. He took a step towards his mother, eyes colder than his words. You're wasting everyone's time, and I am finished wasting mine. I said good night. Although visibly upset, Narcissa looked at him like one would a petulant child before gracefully leaving through another door. Malfoy walked to the desk, but instead of sitting, he hesitated. After taking a breath and running a rough hand through his hair, Hermione could see the cords of tension in him pulling tighter and tighter until they snapped, and Malfoy swiped all the papers off the table in a single move. Hermione was frozen to the spot. His parchment and paper went flying. Once the final piece of paper fluttered to the ground, he stood, collected himself once again, and looked up. Hermione and Keating leapt into action, splitting up. She stumbled into the kitchen, still thrumming from the sheer amount of emotion in his voice. With nowhere to go, Keating picked up the book she'd abandoned some time ago and pretended to read. Malfoy exited the room, offered a terse good night to Keating, and stopped short at the sight of her. "'How did I know you wouldn't be far away?' Not a question, but a statement. A grim one. Keating walked between them, making a hasty exit with her book tucked to her chest. They both watched her go before their eyes met again. Hermione folded her arms. I just got back from dinner with the Weasleys. I didn't intend to overhear your conversation. Hermione didn't make it more than two steps from him when Malfoy's voice halted her. Don't we have time scheduled to research tonight? Yes, but I'm sure you need to decompress after that. I usually bake or organize, but lately I've tried my hand at brewing. With books. Obviously, he was trying to start an argument. His tone wasn't light or chiding like before. Perhaps the nice night she'd had with her friends and surrogate family had settled something inside of her, because Hermione felt oddly patient and understanding of his shitty mood. She paid it no mind and made a conscious decision not to fight back. It took effort. Now that I think about it, I do need to brew next month's wolfsbane for Padma. She angled her body towards him. Given the state of things around my home, I could use the company. He didn't answer right away, nor did he step closer. At least not at first. No, Malfoy had a different question in mind. How do you acquire the volume of powdered silver necessary to make so much? I purchase whatever our department's budget can't afford each month. Daphne and Blaze find all the ingredients I can't grow. That's expensive. It's worth it. 
I suppose my mother's salary goes to your efforts. Yes, but I've been doing this long before your mother, and I'll do it after. Basic human rights and common decency were not afforded to them due to their condition, and the loopholes in the laws. It was what they deserved. Until Wolfsbane is readily available and affordable, this is what I'm going to do. They're people first, and every person deserves a chance. Not everyone uses their chances wisely. They didn't ask for this to happen to them. Hermione pushed her hands into the pockets of her jeans, not at all knowing what to do with them. Instinct and proximity dragged her in one direction, while logic and actual sanity kept her rooted to the spot, just out of reach. They're victims of circumstances they had no control over. Until things change, this is their only option. Then she became bolder. The same would apply to your mother. I've done what we agreed upon. His face tightened in a grimace. I've now tried twice. Yes, you have. Their eyes met and Hermione held her ground under his glare. But perhaps you should take your own advice and use a lighter touch. Heavy silence settled between them, thickening by the second, before they glanced away. She felt unsettled by the exchange, rocking back on her heels. Maybe we could talk to her together when everyone's tempers have cooled. Malfoy scoffed. It might work, it might not, but give her some time to think about what you've said before we try a different way. And what way is that? You haven't been able to convince her yet. And neither have you, but we could tackle the problem together. He looked off to the side and she purposefully stepped into his line of sight. Think about it while you show me what makes your potion superior to mine. Draco Malfoy had been in her brewing room once before, almost two months ago, which boggled her mind. So much had changed, but some things hadn't. Like the way he moved as though he'd been there every day since. A strange familiarity with her space. Confident, which was apropos of him, but not overly so, or in a way that grated her nerves. There was just a mindfulness about him. He was keenly aware of the fact that this was not his space. The fact that he touched nothing felt more like respect than anything. Hermione gathered each glass jar of ingredients to make Wolfsbane, levitating them from the shelf to the workbench. She kept a considerate eye on him, but Malfoy knew where everything was, which spoke not just to his memory, but his acute attention to detail and interest in the room itself. He looked at her stores from top to bottom and frowned. You've rearranged. Not a question. He knew it for fact. A few weeks ago, yes. Hands behind his back, Malfoy continued raking his eyes over everything. The lack of criticism felt almost like praise. For the next fifteen minutes, Hermione watched as he prepared. It was clear they would be doing things his way tonight. And that was... Well, Hermione hadn't quite found the words, too busy watching as he moved about the room. Having brewed countless potions in here over the years, she knew and trusted her equipment, but he didn't. Like any careful potions maker, he meticulously checked everything. The cauldron he selected, the knives he wiped, the bowls he stacked by size, the scale he rebalanced, the cutting board he recleaned. Nothing missed his scrutiny, not even her. You should prepare. Hermione felt a spark of indignation at his words, but washed her hands anyway while he continued his examination. When she looked over her shoulder, Malfoy was removing his tie with skillful fingers. A practical choice, really. Accidents could happen. Heat rushed through her veins when he then loosened the cufflinks on his black shirt and rolled each sleeve to his elbows. First his right, revealing lean muscles, then the left. Dragon scales and colors swirled up his arm. He wasn't hiding tonight. 
While that made for a wildly attractive sight, it was his meticulous stoicism that drew her attention. The deeper statements he made with smaller actions. His confidence. His competence. They were all little bits of trust he'd put in her. The thought made Hermione splash a bit of tepid water on her face for good measure, drying it with a few gentle pats. "'Are you finished?' Malfoy was directly behind her, his voice low. Startled and blown off course, Hermione jumped and her knee jerked hard, coming into contact with the wood door of the cupboard. She suppressed her pained groan by biting the inside of her cheek. "'Yes?' Ignoring the odd look he gave as she passed him on her way to the cauldron, she waited until she was certain he wasn't paying attention to rub her knee. The sound of running water made her move, gathering the final few things they needed. Hermione placed her wand next to his on the worktop, just as the water turned off, and she ran her finger down the well-worn page of her potions book. Malfoy joined her side just as she was reading step one. He snagged the book from the stand in a quick motion, picking it up and tossing it over his shoulder without looking. She watched as notes flew out from between various pages before it landed on the floor across the room. Hermione gave him a bored look. Well, that was unnecessary. I believe the purpose of this was to see the way I brew, and I don't do it with books. He looked too smug for his own good, especially not when I've already memorized the potion. Why have you memorized the recipe for Wolfsbane? You're not the only one with experience with lycanthropes. Pressing his lips into a thin line, he picked up her jar of powdered silver. Voldemort wasn't the only terrible houseguest we had that year. Grayback. Hard to believe he voluntarily took the potion, but I suppose he was of no use to anyone if he couldn't be controlled. Hermione fought the shiver crawling down her spine. I'd imagine he was a danger to everyone without the potion, considering the savage beast he already was outside the full moon, too. Have you met him, Granger? She thought about the howls she heard nearly every full moon. A meeting was beginning to feel inevitable. Numb to the prospect of the deadly interaction, perhaps her attitude about it really was careless. It was coming. She could feel it. I've come close. I threw him off Lavender, but it wasn't enough to save her. Lavender had died days later from injuries no amount of magic could heal. Parvati had been devastated. Though dorm mates with them both, Hermione hadn't been close to either one during their time at school. But when she'd helped Parvati pack up Lavender's trunk, their friendship had sprouted. From the comfort provided in a grieving embrace as Parvati mourned, it grew deeper with the care she'd handled each of Lavender's things. All night Hermione had listened to story after story of a girl she'd never truly known, enough to dislike the way she had. And Hermione deeply regretted that she hadn't bothered to learn when she'd had the chance. I... Malfoy was watching her a little too closely. In that instant, something clicked. How long have you known about Greyback stalking me? There was a shift in his eyes. She was right. Since the interrogations of the intruders. One said something that made me curious, so I pressed. It didn't sound all that legal, but now clearly wasn't the time to argue morality. Three days. That was how long he'd sat on the information, just waiting for the right moment. It was a move so quintessentially him that Hermione almost laughed. She probably would have, had her stomach not been too busy twisting in knots. She braced herself for an argument that didn't come. I thought she'd have more to say. His eyebrow rose. Such as? I thought you would be angry. Malfoy was quiet for several minutes as he checked every ingredient for quality before deeming it all sufficient. It's smart that very few people know. 
A silent spell gathered her scattered notes in the book he'd tossed, and a second one that sent them back to the bookshelf. Information like that, coupled with the knowledge of the location of your home, is dangerous in the wrong hands. I'm aware, just like I'm aware that if my wards had failed, we would be having a different conversation right now. Or not one at all. Malfoy didn't confirm or deny, but the more Hermione thought about his reaction, the more sense she made of his presence earlier. The way he seemed to survey the land as if committing it to memory. He wanted to ensure the safety of his family. She couldn't fault him for that. We're all under the same threat, even Greyback. Malfoy's jaw tensed. Though he has no qualms in turning adults, he has a preference for children. The younger the better. They're easier to groom. Hermione stiffened at the thought. It's something I keep in mind while I'm working, but he remains one of the threats I hope to eliminate before they find us. I wasn't hiding it. I, up until recently, this was none of my concern. But that has changed. Hermione tried to swallow around the lump in her throat, eyeing the row of glass jars, but Malfoy wasn't finished. "'How long has he been stalking you?' "'A few months after he broke out of Azkaban. There was no reason to lie. I will admit it's gotten worse lately. I can hear his howls near my home nearly every full moon, but he hasn't come close enough to my wards. The intruders were closer than anyone had ever been before, and they were tracking Mather's blood, which was a fluke, really.' Goldstein was impressed with your warding, if you must know. He thinks they're solid on their own, and the additions are merely added security barriers. Good to know. That made her feel better. Malfoy placed the powdered silver aside, easily handling the first ingredient they would need, myrrh. Hermione, meanwhile, began creating the base for the potion on her side, a task that didn't take long. The summer with Greyback was almost nice in comparison to how he is now. Malfoy's confession startled Hermione, and she nearly lost track of what she was doing. I, I've heard stories from Padma. There's a host of people he's bitten outside the full moon. As well as the ones he's bitten during the full moon. Many don't survive the transformation. Muggles and wizards alike. Anyone in the wrong place at the wrong time was hunted down like prey by Greyback, and the lycanthropes under his thrall. Hermione tensed. She doubted Padma or anyone at St. Mungo's knew about that. Yet another thing the Ministry has buried to hide their incompetence and inability to handle a problem that has been terrorizing the community for years. Malfoy must have sensed her surprise without even looking at her. He's gone insane, as you know. You're also probably aware that more wolves are leaving his side than joining. Why is that? He's more wolf than man. That much she knew from the victims who had survived— the scarring on their face and neck and chest made it look as though he was trying to tear them to pieces. How they survived? Hermione could explain with a detailed explanation of lycanthropy. But the pain they went through. That she couldn't imagine. Like a dog with a taste for blood. He won't stop until someone puts him down. He was weighing the powdered silver. Less than what she used. Hmm. Hermione picked up her wand and started a low fire. Everything was now in place for him to add the active ingredients. She continued to watch as Malfoy worked. He looked relaxed as he double-checked the scale, set aside the powdered silver, and began working carefully with the aconite after putting on gloves to protect him from the plant's harmful side effects. You speak as if you'll be the one to do it. I don't have a death wish. Malfoy gave her a hard look before returning to his task. I'll leave him to Potter or someone equally as stupid or brave, but I doubt they will do much. They'll want to arrest him, which is futile. 
Nothing short of a killing curse will bring about peace. I'm certain you can muster up a killing curse. Silence fell as he measured out the exact amount of aconite needed for the potion. Nothing was heard beyond the crackle of the fire beneath the cauldron and the quick rhythm of the knife. He chopped and minced the leaves, and then did the same with the giant moonwort. Actually, I cannot. Malfoy's comment was spoken as casually as though they were discussing the weather in the middle of a heat wave, a resigned, almost bored sort of drawl. Hermione treated it like the confession it was, blinking wildly at the man he measured the moonwort, notably more than what her recipe called for. Turn down the heat, Granger, or it will burn. She did just that, but revisited the topic after several silent minutes. Never? No. His response was firm as he continued to work. Have you? No, but I'm not an or. The law states— I imagine it gets easier with added use. But the first time you cast it, you have to really mean it. It requires pure hatred, the likes of which, despite my history, I've never been able to muster. He rose to full height. You'll need to step aside so I can work. And she did so, still blinking at him dumbly. While Malfoy brewed, Hermione let his words weigh in her mind. She had always assumed differently. She thought that he had at some point, which went to show that no matter what she thought about him, she had yet to fully understand him. There was still a way to go. But unlike before, Hermione was beginning to realize that she was in no rush to solve the riddle, because each part of himself he unveiled only made him want to know him more. Malfoy was fascinating, much like the night sky, mysterious but strangely gentle and terrifying all the same. The feeling that she'd been pulling at for days squirmed in her stomach once more as she catalogued the contours of his face, appreciating the deep concentration involved in his efforts. But the moment she stopped fighting it, all she could think about was wanting to know more, to dig deeper, and to keep peeling him back. Malfoy was complicated, yes, but oddly relatable. Every bit as cagey and frustrating as ever, but human in his struggles and capable of growth, just like anyone else. Hermione found herself wanting to understand less about how he operated, less about his identity, and more about who he was as a person, as a man. What else did he like? Who was he outside of work and duty to his family? Identity was more than a name, more than history, and more than a list of qualities that made Draco Malfoy who he was. Yet it was all of that, and then some. But I'm surprised you haven't asked me any questions yet. Like why you've reduced the amount of pulverized black quicksilver, and why you've increased the myrrh as well as the giant moonwort? She looked at him from across the cauldron. I was being patient. I am capable of that sometimes. Are you? Malfoy's eyes bore into her, gripping her attention for the span of two heartbeats. He cleared his throat. In the event that you're running low on either, the potion works based not just on aconite, but the delicate balance between these two ingredients. Too little black quicksilver, or too much, and it renders the potion ineffective. I've tested out exactly how little it needs in order to work, down to the gram, and the adjustments call for more moonwort for stabilization purposes. It won't need to simmer as long, but it'll need the same amount of time to settle and ferment. Who taught you to do that? Hermione doubted he had much time to experiment with anything during school with all the death and carnage and war happening. I did spend the summer with Snape. He taught me a great deal. He taught you? Before we returned to Hogwarts, yes. I spent most of that year disconnecting. Brewing. She wondered if, when, he'd reconnected with anything. 
or anyone. That reflection quieted all following thoughts. They worked in silence, or rather, Malfoy worked in silence. He added each ingredient in the same order she remembered from her books. The colors changed correctly with each addition, but he did so with a delicacy she didn't possess, a natural ease. It was interesting watching him work, observing the way he knew exactly how slow to stir, when to speak the incantation, and when to sit down his wand and let it brew. "'What do you normally do while you wait?' Hermione felt a bit sheepish. "'Make another batch in a different cauldron?' "'You have five cauldrons large enough to make the potion.' Malfoy blinked at her incredulously. "'It'll take hours.' "'You asked.' Hermione stepped back with a shrug. "'Padma has at least ten wolves that don't have access to Wolfsbane. There used to be more, but Theo's been outsourcing help. All of the potions masters I regularly consult also volunteer and send vials. What I make is the gap we can't seem to fill. "'That's seventy vials, and they have to ferment for at least two weeks. I generally dedicate a day to the task instead of starting this late at night.' This isn't a one-person job, Granger. I've been doing fine just by myself. Interesting. Though she understood some of his expressions, the one he gave her remained a mystery. I believe you had certain comments about my similar thought process. That's different, the words died when Malfoy turned back to the ingredients and silently went back to work. Hermione did the same. Just until after two in the morning, they worked with nothing more than bits of intermittent conversation between them. Despite the changes he made to the brew, each batch came out just as correct as they had been when she'd brewed it by the book. When the last was viled and placed on the shelf to ferment, Hermione looked around only to find Malfoy gone. She thought she'd gone home ahead of her to rest, but a dim light in her conservatory drew her like a beacon. Drew her to find him. Malfoy stood in front of the window, looking out at the darkness where she could faintly see the trees blowing. The wind had picked up over the course of the evening— Hermione joined him, but turned her attention to the cloud-covered sky that hid the moon and stars. "'Everything finished?' "'Yes,' she answered quietly, angling her body to face him. "'Thank you for your help. You didn't have to—' "'You'll still brew with books, won't you?' "'For Wolfsbane? Yes.' Hermione smiled and bit her lip. "'I am who I am. But your adjustments will help me in the long run. I can safely say I learned something new.' "'I have as well.' Malfoy's eyes caught hers. There was a hint of contemplation there, and a tense determination in the set of his jaw. Believe it or not, I'm a patient man. Hermione's smile faded, brows knitted together. I... I'm not ready. I've told you this. Malfoy turned to her. So I've decided to let you continue fighting and analyzing whatever this is becoming. I've learned this is your way, after all. Intense eyes narrowed a fraction as he stepped closer. She didn't move, didn't breathe. But what I won't do is live in a delusion of your creation and pretend that this is nothing. A distant rumble of thunder was all she heard next. He let it pass while she blinked repeatedly at the gravity of his words. I'm not asking for anything. You're free to either go or stay. He took a breath, and only then did Hermione do the same. You choose. Hermione's instinct was to go somewhere, anywhere, as fast as her feet would carry her. Maybe it would help her process what was becoming increasingly clear to her. Maybe it wouldn't. But then she felt it. Felt him reaching. But now for her. Dry, cautious fingers scraped against her fingertips for a breath. 
and a spark of warmth reached for a chance. Intent left her reeling. Dizzying emotions called her name. And in front of her was a man that was asking for her attention, quietly demanding to be heard. Hermione's heart beat out of rhythm of something that refused to be extracted, discarded, or ignored. Only felt. Before Malfoy retreated, she felt hesitancy in the slight tremble of his finger, but also the unwavering steadiness. Her thoughts ran wild, but Hermione exhaled, relented. I'll stay. Eyes firmly on him, she coiled one uncertain finger around his, then another. Shifting and adjusting until their fingers were entwined, his hand swallowed hers in its warmth. The promise of rain hushed everything beyond the beat of her pulse and the steady feel of their fingers twisted together. When the storm rolled in, the earth breathed its sigh, but neither let go. Storms make trees take deeper roots. Dolly Parton <laughs>